0: You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 159. episode of the podcast we'll be meeting Eva Lesko-Natiello who is the award-winning author of the New York Times and USA Today bestseller The Memory Box. She lives in New Jersey with her family and her latest book Following You was published in February. I enjoyed chatting with Eva on her creative process and the unique way that she gets ideas for her suspenseful psychological thrillers and a whole lot more so stay tuned for the interview uh, coming up here in just a moment. A quick reminder, though, if you're enjoying this podcast, please uh, do rate and review it on your favorite app. Uh, If you go over to the thrillingreads.com forward slash rate, uh, you can find easy links of the different places where you can go and uh, rate and review this, uh, like over on Apple Podcasts, for example. Uh, You can also sign up to the uh, Thrilling Reads mailing list uh, from that page. Uh, I'll email a couple times a month, but uh, I email with great deals on mystery and thriller uh, books. Uh, So you can go check all that out at uh, thrillingweeds.com forward slash rate. All right, here is my interview with Eva Lesko natiello So I'm happy to have uh, Eva here on the podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Alan.
0: Did I butcher your name? I I always forget to ask before hitting the record button.
1: (laughs) Wow, it was so beautiful. I have to say, you did not get tripped up by Natiello, and I have to tell you, I have heard it many, many different ways.
0: <laughs> oh, good, good. Yeah, yeah. with the, the, the double L in Spanish, you, you kind of want to go to Natiel.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you still used a really nice, I don't know, it was kind of lyrical the way you said it, but thank you.
0: Okay, good. Thank you. I'm glad I didn't butcher it. <laughs> so yeah. can you tell us a little bit about your background, please?
1: Yeah, sure. I started writing thrillers, I'd say, about... 10 or so years ago. And and it wasn't something that I always, like, I, I wasn't born and said to myself as a, you know, infant, I need to be a novelist someday. I'm not one of those authors. I really never planned on writing. It kind of happened... So a little bit out of the blue, I have to say, it's kind of an interesting story. I was in my past life. So right before I started writing, I was in the cosmetics industry and I uh, was a PR and marketing um, director for Estee Lauder and some of the brands, uh, Estee Lauder brands. And that was really fun. I did that for a long time. And actually, I even worked with the namesake, Estee Lauder, the woman who launched the brand in the 1950s, she was a marketing genius. And I learned so much from her that when I launched my first book, called The Memory Box, I actually used several of her ideas, her marketing strategies, I modernized them for, you know, 2020, or whenever it was that I launched that book. And, um, you know, marketing is one of those things, like you market a book, and it just... It doesn't really change all that much. I mean, the strategies the the how you go about it does, but the principles don't. But anyway, I learned so much um from her and from that um, career in cosmetics that could not have. Prepared me better to be an author, a storyteller. You know, market my books. So I did that for a while. Before that, I was actually a singer, um, and that usually throws people for a loop. You know, <laughs> I I worked in the Caribbean and I was a singer um, for resorts in the Caribbean. So that was pretty fun too. So that that's I don't I'm not sure when you asked me what's your background, you were planning <laughs> all of that or <laughs> anticipating that.
0: No, that's fascinating, especially the. I saw that from your background, your marketing and PR background, because that's something that a lot of uh, authors struggle with. You know, they're like, oh, I just want to write. But those, unless you like, a, got a huge uh, deal, you, you're still going to, even the, with a big deal, you're still going to have to market and, and promote yourself. So did you find that that, so it's interesting to hear that you were able to apply what you learned in your other job to your, to your writing world.
1: Yeah, completely. And also, I think what happened was when I started writing, I realized I now do something professionally that incorporates everything I love to do, which is great, which was creating the art, but also marketing, because I really do. I am a marketing geek, I have to say. I'm love thinking about that. I can't, every time I meet an author and they, you know, and I say, well, what, what do you write? And what's the name of your book or whatever it is, we get into a talk. My marketing wheels just start going crazy. Like, have you tried this? Have you tried that? So, so I can't separate one from the other. And I'm really happy that, um, because the creative side is what I favor. You know, I love the writing part um, or the storytelling as I like to think of myself um, as a storyteller and write a writer of things that are, sh- you know, pretty shocking, I mean, thriller writing, you know, you're shocking people and you've got the twists and the turns. And, you know, I remember studying um, with um, someone years ago about writing and, and she was saying to me um, or to all of us, all the students, if you think you know what the reader is expecting, give them the opposite. And that is such a great thing to keep in the back of your mind, especially when you're writing thrillers, you know?
0: Yeah, that's a great mantra for thriller writers. And were you a fan of the of the genre as a reader or what, 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 what drew you to, to write in that genre?
1: Yeah, I I like psychological thrillers. I don't like I know this is going to sound a little strange. I might have mentioned this to you before, but I I don't like being scared. <laughs> <laughs> I am sort of a chicken if you must know, and I cannot watch like scary movies, cannot watch them. I have terrible nightmares. Um so I when I read, I guess I like fiction, um and I like uh magical realism and I like historical fiction and I like psych thrillers but I don't normally like to be scared but why do I gravitate to writing thrillers that will be most likely your next question <laughs> like, I do love the idea and I think all of my books definitely touch on misconceptions and I love the idea of misconceptions and how everyone you know no matter who you are and almost every day, there are things that you meet in life, which are misconceptions. I love misconceptions, and I love facades, and where something appears to be one way, but it is completely another. And facades, you know, obviously can take the shape of so many different things. Not only is it a, can it be a person, you know, someone who appears one way, but they're maybe, you know, have another agenda, or they're hiding something. But even, In my book, sometimes the town, so this setting for following you, my newest, takes place in Southern California, and it's really based on like a San Diego. um, It's not called San Diego, but that's what I had in mind, a fictional version. And most people, when they think of San Diego, you think of this amazingly beautiful um community I mean with the beach and the you know coast and the palm trees and the flowers and what about like it never it hovers around 70 degrees year round and sunny and But something is amiss there. Something's going on, um, and the thriller takes place in this really beautiful location. So, again, the city and the town is a facade for something darker going on. So I do like that kind of thing. I did a lot of theater as a young person, and so I love the theatrics of thrillers, you know, giving people what they don't expect. That's fun.
0: Yeah, especially the psychological thrillers and They're so popular now with all the... All the girl psychological thrillers, uh, Girl Gone Girl, gr- Girl on the Train. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, you right. Yeah,
0: so, yeah. So that was a good good, good timing for you, uh, uh, market wise, uh, with your uh, yes. r- publishing psychological thrillers.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So what? The, so you can you tell us a little bit more about the story of following you. What's it about?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, the protagonist is a celebrity. Um, she's a woman who's really kind of popular for being a TV host, a po- very popular and beloved TV host of a shopping channel. And it's based on the shopping channel QVC. In the book, it's called iShop. And um, this very uh, popular host who's quite successful, she had a stalker and at the beginning of the book we discover that her stalker has been found and there's no threat anymore and so she can live her best life now and so in one of the earliest chapters she decides to go to this um new year's eve party she's really psyched the new year's look looking promising um this stalker has been discovered and she's going to go back to her normal life and um she hops in her car And she's following a colleague from the studio, from the iShop studios, to this open house um, New Year's Eve party. And she does something really stupid, as will happen (laughs) in a thriller. Somebody is about to do something dumb and you're screaming at the book, don't do it. But... Her decision um, to do something dumb comes out of her being really panicked. She gets into a situation driving behind this car who she thinks she's driving behind this little silver car of the cameraman that she works for. And um, so she's she, she does something really dumb and um, she goes missing. And so the rest of the book is touches upon these three strangers whose lives intersect after this woman goes missing. And when we, and the book is told from the three different points of view, and we find out how they're interrelated and if she gets found in the end. And that inciting scene, the one where she's in the car actually did happen to me. And that's where I got the idea from. I was, um, following somebody in a car to a party and I don't really know anything about cars if you must know the truth. I I have no idea like one type of car. I just know colors (laughs) and I just knew I was following a little silver car. That's all I knew and I knew that we were going to be driving for like 10 to 15 minutes before we got to the party and 15 minutes went by, 20 minutes went by. I'm going through detours. It was a rainy night. Um, I I was stopped at a red light and the car I was following got past the red light. And so it's 20 minutes later, it's 25 minutes later. And I'm thinking to myself, wait, what is going on? This this party was supposed to be 10 minutes away. Where the heck are we going? And that's when I realized the silver car I'm following is not the one I started following. Wow. <laughs> And that's what happens to Shay, the protagonist. She starts off following a little silver car and a couple of detours and a turn that she wasn't supposed to take later. And I mean, you never realize how many silver cars are on the road. I mean, the, practically everyone's got one, by the way. So that's part of the problem. And she ends up following the wrong car. Wow.
0: Well, love that. That's very, uh, yeah, that's incredible. That's a great, uh, a great hook. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. And she ends up, and of course, she's going to a party that's open house. You know, mm. you just walk in. It's this big party um, on the coast in San Diego, and she walks into the house. But if she's following the wrong car, I got news for you about the house. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. without the spoilers, I can see where it's going. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And then uh, I love how you get your ideas because I was reading uh, when I was uh, reading your bio of preparing for this interview, I saw that you had a a Vice article written by Caroline Thompson, who was the name of one of oh. your uh, characters from your first book, The Memory Box. Yes. Can you tell us a little about that and how you got that idea for that book? Because I think that's so cool as well.
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is a funny story. So, okay. I'm going to start answering your question just by explaining first what the first book's about so that you get how unbelievable this story is. So The Memory Box is a story about a woman who Googles her name and discovers a past she has no recollection of. And she's discovering things about herself in a Google search she doesn't know about. Now, that book came came to me from... So that was the first book I wrote. And that before I start writing that book, I had no intentions of writing a novel, as I discussed before. But I... A couple of things happened where I, you know, moved out of New York City and had um, I was, you know, had my second child. And um, so we moved to the suburbs in New Jersey and I took a, a leave of absence from my work at Estee Lauder. And. I was missing having that creative outlet. My job was really creative and I really did love it. And one day I read an article in the New York Times about people Googling themselves. Now, so this article was written a long time ago, 10 years ago or 11 years ago when people started doing this, okay? And one of the people in the article was a 17 year old high school boy who lived in California. He Googled his name. First thing he found, missing persons, uh, that he was on a missing persons list in another country. So he was on a missing persons list in California. And he was so shocked by this. He didn't know who to turn to and who to discuss this discovery with. Of course, he wasn't going to go to his mother because now he's questioning whether she is truly his mother. And um, it turns out that he was kidnapped when he was two from Canada, he was taken to California and he was raised there. And he had a Really lovely childhood, except for the fact that he was lied to and taken from California, uh, Canada. So I'm reading this article and I'm thinking that is the craziest story I ever read. How could you Google your name? I mean, most of us know pretty much everything there is to know about ourselves, right? One would think, right? Yeah, especially so, that,
0: especially stuff like stuff about yeah. your parents.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, imagine googling your name and finding out things you don't know about yourself and i just thought what a great idea that would be for a thriller i had no intentions of being the person to write that book at the time but what started happening was i i got the um not amnesia not amnesia i got insomnia i could not sleep at night and the idea for this character i thought well, it would be great if it was like a mom of young children sort of the life i was living at the time And um, set in this great community, again, the the town as a facade, where this woman Googles her name. And then she's so afraid to share this with any of the um, other people in the community. And there is a group of women, moms in this community who are digging up dirt. I mean, they Google people just to try and dig up dirt on people. And um, so she Googles her name and she only sees three things and it's all kind of, you know, philanthropic what she did for the public library, what she did for the kindergarten kids, blah, blah, blah. And she's so relieved. She's she thinks to herself, thank goodness these women are not going to be gossiping about me because they're going to find absolutely nothing. And then a few days go by and she thinks to herself, hmm, that's all there was about me on Google, how embarrassing in a way she feels (laughs) really like nothing. She must be nothing, you know, nothing's going on for this woman. So she Googles her maiden name, just kind of on a lark. Nobody knows her maiden name in this town. And that's when she starts to discover these crazy, crazy things. And at first she's like, no, this much must be another Caroline Thompson. It can't be me. And the further she looks, she realizes it is her. And now she's got to prove that these things are wrong before anyone else proves that they're true. And so that's that's the crux of that book. And it's a really fast paced, um, you know, rabbit hole that you go down And and that's told from her point of view, first person. And you really do feel like you're losing your mind along with her along the way but so this is the funniest thing that happened the protagonist's name is Caroline Thompson and she's the one who googles her name to see what she can come up with well one day I guess it was about two years after the book was published maybe three years after the book was published I went to the dentist I was reading my emails before I was called into the dentist's office and and just that morning I was working on a new book and I was thinking about names and I started thinking about Caroline. Now I hadn't thought about that character in years, right? Because once you finish a book, you don't you're not really consumed by them anymore. And I started thinking about Caroline and her name and her maiden name just for kind of trying to figure out this new character's name. After the dentist appointment, I'm looking at my emails at my phone in the car and I have an email from Caroline Thompson and I nearly freaked out. I screamed, first of all, I screamed. I was like, what What the heck is this? How could my character be emailing me? I mean, I was so flipped out, I can't even tell you. It was the strangest thing ever because I had just thought about her that morning. And I don't know a soul named Caroline Thompson. I don't know one person except for my character. So right now I'm shaking in my car. I'm shaking, thinking it's my character. And she knew I was thinking about her. But I, of course, I know that can't be true, right? Lest you think I'm crazy. So I click open the email, and it's a journalist from Vice Magazine, and her name is Caroline Thompson. And the reason she found me is because she googled her name, <laughs> and she found <laughs> and she found something that said Caroline Thompson googles her name and discovers the shocking details of a past she doesn't remember, and she screamed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's very that's very meta, and you both freaked each other out.
1: <laughs> oh, totally totally it was like full circle it was the most perfect thing that could have happened right it was the most perfect thing
0: yeah and then your book and then you got a write-up on vice so nice yeah. little plug for the book
1: totally it was awesome <laughs> it was really awesome
0: uh, you can't buy that kind of publicity from a big magazine like vice
1: <laughs> No, you can't it was it was just amazing and just like even as a pr and a marketing person i mean i should have thought of something like that you know and i to orchestrate at least but i mean i didn't have to in the end because this woman found me and she was really kind of a pip you know like she was so paranoid she's a very paranoid person and um you'll have to read the article it's really fun
0: yeah i'll I'll, um definitely have a link on it if people listen to us on the website and we'll we'll, because yeah i read the article and it's it's fascinating how how she got all freaked out about it and then you got freaked out and (laughs) (laughs) i'm also curious to know with uh, about your writing process too because you come up with these great ideas like you're following the wrong silver car so from that from from that point in time that you that idea pops in your head what's your process like then do you like start like thinking that it's, that I'm going to write about this do you outline it How, what's your writing process like
1: yeah so that's a good question because I I do think of these kind of disparate scenes um, that car event that happened and then the reason why I even got on like the QVC thing, I remember watching QVC many years ago and thinking, wow, this is like a subculture of people who are, I mean, the viewers are so dedicated and so loyal and they think they're really best friends with the hosts. And it's just kind of funny, this whole um, relationship that the viewers have with the hosts and it's very intimate and it's a little weird. Mm-hmm. And you could see how people could be borderline stalkers, you know, and not even know they're stalking someone because it's almost set up for that kind of thing. It's weird. So I had these different events in my mind. And and what I do sometimes is like that car thing. I knew that if I had walked into the wrong house, right, or the character has to walk into the wrong house, I start back engineering the story like whose house is it and why is it a bad why is it bad that she walked in there what's going to happen who is this person she walked in on does she walk in on something and then how does she go missing and and the story takes takes on from there and and i sometimes know the end like the end the beginning and the end. And then I often are like back engineering, like I just said, how do we get to that end scene? And it's not really until I sit down to write, do I, do I have a handle on the, on the characters? You know, I'm one of, I'm definitely not a, a planner or a plot sir, or a, what did I say that right? Plotter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was wrong. Um, So, so I do, I do fly by the seat of my, I don't think I'm supposed to say that either. I'm mixing metaphors now, but uh, yeah, I, I don't plan. I don't outline. I I'll outline when a decent chunk of the book is written. So like I'm writing a new one now and I would say 60 to 70% is done. So I'm actually going to outline now because I know the crux of the story And I know most of the characters, but maybe at this point, what I need to do is make sure um, I have the right characters, you know, doing the right things and and, and also enough of the red herrings. You know, that's kind of fun to sprinkle those red herrings in there. And so that the thriller reader who loves to be manipulated, I shall do that to them.
0: (laughs) I like that. And what do you use to write your books? Do you use Word or some other uh, software program? or?
1: So I use a combination of Word and Pages because I work mm-hmm. on a Mac. Um, I've been thinking about switching over to Scrivener, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm kind of a disorganized person, so maybe I should do that. <laughs> but uh, for now, and I do a lot of writing um, on Pages paper, you know, pen and paper. I do a lot of that because I do a lot of great writing when I'm not in my office, when I'm at a place that you would think nothing's getting done. But I do find that I work out real trouble spots. Like if I'm having a hard time figuring out a scene or a character Um, Sometimes I'll sit in my car, which is outside, like in my driveway, I'll just go there and sit there, close the door, bring a pad and a pen, or I'll pretend I'm sleeping on a couch. (laughs) I'll pretend I'll just, you know, lie to myself. And, and it will just, I think it's about just not having distractions, you know, letting the mind be completely clear of distractions and any other thoughts. And that's why this whole, like, pretend you're sleeping thing, I close my eyes and I could pretty much work out any problem I'm having in a very, very short amount of time. If I shut my eyes, lie down and shut my eyes, believe it or not.
0: Yeah. That's usually when I, yeah. Like usually when going to bed, all the ideas start coming in.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I'll never forget when my kids were young. This was kind of funny. I I remember being, you know, in our family room, I was lying on the couch and my daughter had a friend over and they walked through the family room and, and her friends whispered to her and said, your mom is sleeping. And my daughter looked at me and said, oh no, she's just writing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so they knew already. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> she's just writing. Yeah, so now,
0: that was cute. yeah. And I'm, I'm curious too, I've been asking my guests now because of the crazy year that we've had with the pandemic and COVID, um, how it, did that have any changes into your your writing process and how are you uh, planning to address it? Are you going to ignore it? Are you addressing it in your future books?
1: You mean COVID itself?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like I know some writers yeah. are like, no alternate universe. It didn't exist. And others are like, well, I'm going to start addressing it. Cause you know, I write in the, in the present.
1: Well, the work the book I'm working on right now does take place during COVID, the very beginnings of the pandemic. So early last spring. This idea I didn't really want to write about COVID, mm-hmm. but this idea presented itself to me and I thought it was fun, really fun and interesting enough that I shouldn't ignore it. It, it doesn't play a huge part, but it it's it it's creates a backdrop and also an obstacle for this family um who for many generations they've had for several generations they've had a regional they've owned a regional theater out in the hamptons new york and um these three sisters their their parents were big broadway stars and opened up this regional theater out of a barn um they they um, gutted a barn and created a theater there and it became a really popular theater. And then when they died, they left the theater to the three sisters. And so um, one of the sisters has tragically died right before the book starts. And the The sister that always was afraid that the theater was going to be her responsibility someday. Um, she never really wanted the theater to be her responsibility. And she, it was the other sister who, who died, who was really the genius behind the theater. And she was the creative director. She has died. And so this surviving sister has to, make sure that the theater doesn't go under on her watch. But then all of a sudden what happens and they're planning a very big production of something, but then COVID strikes and they have to shut the theater. And she's really afraid that that she will lose the theater because they're in financial ruins. And so she has to devise a, an experimental production, an experimental theatrical production that um, they do during COVID that allows them to still employ and and, uh, turn a profit. And um, it's during this opening night of this experimental production, which half of the cast of which is the ticket holders. So the audience um, combined with the actors uh, are in this experimental production and on opening night, a crime is unwittingly uncovered.
0: That sounds like and fascinating. Where, where is it, where are you at with that now? Is that going to come out uh, next year
1: or? Yeah, that's that's ne- that's the one that's I'm in like this outline stage for mm-hmm. um, So I'm I'm pretty close to the end. Um, the hard parts, I think are done. So the fun, I think the fun will start happening now. So I'm excited about
0: that. Yeah, and your books there, since the psychological thrillers, they're usually they're probably they're standalones. They're not part of a series. Yeah,
1: they're yeah. standalones. Even though everyone keeps telling me I'm supposed to be writing series.
0: <laughs> well, but not usually for from what I've from what I've seen, for psychological thrillers, those uh, those seem to be break the norm that they're standalones. Yeah. And uh, and those have been uh overly successful. So <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, from your lips to God's ears, Alan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would like to ask my guests about advice because I have aspiring writers uh, listening to this podcast. And I know that uh, uh, I saw from your website that you actually offer coaching for authors. So this is uh, perfect for you. What, what kind of advice do you have for an aspiring writer?
1: Well, the first thing I tell aspiring writers is act before you think. The reason I say that is because people who've never written before think about it for the longest time. They think about what they should write, how they should write it, when should they write it, they don't have time to write it, they're changing, they shouldn't write it because they're not really a writer. Every excuse under the sun, right? But what I find is if you act before you think, so just take out a pen, be online at the grocery store, write it on the back of, you know, an envelope you got in the mail and start writing because you can't, you can't edit what you haven't written, right? You can't. And the hardest part is, is filling up the blank page, just start. And the other thing I always like to say is start at the scene that excites you the most. Like, don't worry about where does the story begin? But I don't know where it's going. You know, all that thinking, I mean, that will derail you for the rest of your life, seriously. And I remember meeting this memoirist. Well, he would laugh if he heard me calling him that because he hadn't actually written his memoir yet. But he said to me, I just don't know where to start the story. And I said, well, it doesn't really matter. What's the most exciting scene in your mind right now? What What's the one you can't wait to get to? Forget about where it starts. Start there. Because it doesn't have to end up being the first chapter in the final book, It you'll work, you'll write around it. You'll write in front of it. You'll write in back of it. Or maybe it will be the beginning. Who knows? But because writing, and you know this, Alan, I mean, you have to sit with a project for how long? Sometimes, you know, at the very least, months of your life. And it could be years of your life. And so you have to be enthusiastic about that project for a long time time. And you will inevitably go up and down in your emotions towards this project. So what's the best way to ensure you make it to the end is staying excited. And you can stay excited if you start excited. If you don't start excited and you start with, oh, maybe I should tell that story about when I was five, that'll lead into the exciting part. Don't do that. Start writing in the exciting part. Get super stoked about your book feel proud, feel good about yourself that you started. And hopefully that will be exactly what you need to to get you going and keep you there until you finish it.
0: And so what's a great place for the uh, uh, listeners to find you? What's your website?
1: My website is my name, evalesconatiello.com. And they can sign up for my newsletter on that site, which is really fun. Once a month, I send out a newsletter that has lots of good, funny little stories and lots of good stuff. So I'm on social, people can find me on social and the books are available pretty much anywhere you buy books.
0: All right, great. So, then following you, that's your latest and that's out now. So yeah, people go check that out. It's uh, so, uh, been a lot of fun talking with you, uh, Ava, about your process and your books. So it's it's been, uh, been a lot of fun.
1: Same here, Alan. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It was great chatting with you and I wish you much continued success.
0: No, thank you. Likewise. Thank you for listening to Meet the Thriller Author. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with one of your favorite writers of mysteries and thrillers, or if this episode's guest is new to you, I hope you give their books a chance. Helping listeners discover new authors and books is one of the coolest outcomes of doing this podcast. As always, you can head over to thrillerauthors.com to sign up to my Thrilling Reads email list. That way you won't miss out on any great deals in thriller and mystery books. You can also check out all the links and resources in the show notes for this episode over at thrillerauthors.com. And also please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already and leave a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening to this show. If you have done that already, I thank you. I really do appreciate your support. For my other links to my author website, social media haunts and more uh, check out thrillingweeds.com for slash links all my links will be uh, on that uh, page so that's it for this episode Uh, see you next time and stay safe out there